right, let's go and turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, as we do that, let me just uh, let you know that there was a handout. Hopefully you got that at the door. If you need to get up and uh, get one of those because you'd like to take notes in that way, you can do so. It looks like the handout from this morning. That's, I know, a little bit confusing. Uh, we're using that clip art on Pursue Love uh, for many of these handouts, but uh, this is a handout on 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. If you glance down at the text, you might maybe remember something about this text. Uh, I'm not counting on it, uh, but if you remember, uh, boy, I don't know how long ago that was. Was it uh, eight, nine months ago or so, uh, there was a, a family that was coming here to see if you would want to uh, ask them to be uh, the pastor and pastor's family, and the preacher stood up that morning and he preached on 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, this text, and so um, I have, to this congregation, preached this text before. Uh, but what I did in preparing for this, I just didn't want to skip over it. I, I went through my sermon, and I got rid of all of the applications, all of the illustrations, and I went back through the text again and found that I think there are better ways to explain some things, too. Uh, and so I would like to work through the text again, especially in light of it being now uh, where we're understanding the context a bit more. This being a section where Paul is expounding upon the nature of God's wisdom. Uh, this morning, we looked at the wisdom of God found in the cross of Christ. And Paul's word, or his message, was not based on human wisdom. Instead, it was a message of the cross, and uh, we, we made the point in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, that Paul would preach about the cross because God was able to accomplish something through the cross that no human being ever could. God provides salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. Thus, Paul would be willing and, 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 um, and happy to proclaim the power of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're going to look at God's wisdom in a little different way. We saw its substance is the cross of Christ this morning. This evening, we'll look at the recipients of God's wisdom. Now, the Corinthians might not really enjoy having Paul expound upon themselves and their lowly background, but I think that Paul's got a really important reason for doing this in verses 26 through 31 that I'll bring out uh, perhaps near the end of the sermon. But he's going to show them that there is nothing intrinsically valuable in themselves. God did not go to Corinth and choose the ones who are most likely by the world's standards to do great things, so then choose to save them and use them. Instead, this text reminds us that God uses lowly people as the object of his gospel in ministry. So in verse 26 in your Bibles, he starts with these words. He says, for consider your calling brothers. I think Paul is doing something here with this first phrase. He's, it's almost as if he's saying, look at yourselves. Look at yourselves. You remember when you were a child and uh, your mother told you not to get your clothes dirty you know, your good clothes dirty. And so, you know, it all started out innocent enough. 
Uh, you went outside, you were trying to be good, you had your new clothes on, but then, you know, your bicycle was right there. And so you got on your bicycle and you started running it, and, and then your sister comes out of nowhere, right, and, and knocks you off your bicycle into a mud puddle. And then if your mother's like mine, my mother, I remember doing this to me, although I didn't have the sister to blame, it was just really just me. I remember my mother coming to me sometimes at that moment and saying, Brent, look at yourself. Look at yourself. I think that's kind of what Paul is doing with the Corinthians here. He's, but he's not necessarily asking them to look at the nature of their current sin or sinfulness. He's, he's asking them to consider the sort of people they were before God called them. Paul specifically wants them to consider two things about themselves And in your handout this morning, or this evening, number one is consider what God has done with you, verses 26 through 28. So look at verse 26. It says, for consider your your, your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. First, Paul wants them to consider what God has done with them. And for them to fully grasp this, they need to remember that believers, as before, before they were converted, they were lowly. They were lowly. And he gives these seven descriptions here in this text, of their lowly condition before they were converted. I I think many of these are transparent, but if you lump them all together, he says, not many were wise, not many were mighty, noble, but they were foolish, weak, low, and they were things that are not. The vast majority of the Corinthian believers before their conversion were not wise or significant by earthly or human standards. It's not as if the world would look at them and say, you know, God's calling out the ones most gifted in our culture for intellect. They were not of noble birth. It means they weren't of a high class. Most of them were probably converted from the middle or the lower classes in Corinth. He says, uh, but they were fools. They were moronic and feeble outcasts. I think the last time I preached this to you, I said my favorite description is the one found right in the middle of verse 28 where Paul describes them as things that are not. Things that are not. That's what you were. So he says that they are worse than the have-nots. They were the were-nots. Or David Garland, the commentator, says it this way. He says, it's not as if they do not exist, or they did not exist, but they're regarded as if they do not exist. And the summary of all these descriptions, you put these seven together, is a class of people so little valued, it's as if they almost didn't even exist. See, men and women, God normally chooses those who are least likely by human standards to do anything worthwhile in life, and and it's those people that he will reveal his wisdom to in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is true of the Corinthian believers. It's true of the apostle Paul himself. If you were to think about the nature of Paul the apostle, look, look with me at 1 Corinthians 4, 
8 through 13 as he describes some of himself or himself and some of the other apostles. 1 Corinthians 4, 8 through 13. Paul says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. He's describing the church at Corinth. Without us, you have become kings. It's like you're reigning spiritually. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute to the present hour. We hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. I mean, as Paul is even considering the nature of his present calling as an apostle, he doesn't have a lot of good things to say about the way the world would perceive him. They think of us as fools. We are public spectacles. They treat us as the scum of the earth and the refuse of all things. I mean, this is not just something that was true of the Corinthians before their conversion. It's true of the Apostle Paul, even as an apostle, even presently as a believer. The world would not perceive him be someone of significance or value. And there are other places we could talk about this with Paul the Apostle as well, but in both the Corinthians and Paul, we see that God typically reveals his wisdom to lowly men and women. So Paul wants them to remember what God has done with you, believers. You were lowly, yet in verse 27, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Yet notice what God does with believers. God uses lowly believers or believers from a lowly heritage to shame and nullify, and you have two blanks in your notes, to shame and nullify the wise and the strong. Verse 27, you look in the verse there, it says that God calls the foolish, calls what is foolish, to shame, could be translated dishonor, the wise in this world. And he calls the weak to shame the strong or the powerful. A little bit later on in the text, it says that God calls the have-nots, the things that are not, to bring to nothing, as a play on words, to bring to nothing the things that that are. You see, God empowers lowly people to overcome people of perceived importance in our culture. Okay, so we got that. That is what God has done with the Corinthian believers and by extension with us as New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. That leads us to the second point. You can flip your notes. I want you to also consider why God does this with lowly believers. In my opinion, in verses 29 through 31, Paul gives us two reasons why God has chosen to reveal the wisdom of the cross to lowly people. And these are really easy to see in your Bible. As a matter of fact, if you mark in your Bible and you marked when I told you to like nine months ago, you would know them. 
okay? If you didn't, then this is your chance. If you see the words, so that, in verse 29, you could underline it. That's reason number one. And you see the word, so that, or the word, so that, in verse 31, you see the second reason why God has chosen to do it this way. I can tell by how many of you are writing in your Bible, you didn't take me up on the first try. But um, God has two reasons why he works the way that he does in normally calling lowly people, people from a lowly heritage to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first reason is God does this. He reveals his wisdom to weak people in order to silence human beings. Verse 29. He says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And in verse 29 and 31, you're coming to the end of the chapter, and and if you're reading through this text, you probably see that things are mounting, they're building, and by the time you get to verse 29, you get to kind of an ultimate reason here. In verses 27 and 28, we looked at all these purposes that God has, but then they build to verse 29. You could translate it something like this. God chose the foolish in order to shame the wise. God chose the weak in order to shame the strong. God chose the nothings in order to nullify the things that are his ultimate purpose being, verse 29, that no flesh would boast in his presence. See, verse 29 almost becomes the result of all of God's purposes in verse, verses 27 and 8. God did all of this in us and for us as lowly people so that all flesh would be silenced before him. God calls lowly people so that there is no possibility of boasting in themselves or in any other human being among them. Get that? That's verse 29. So it's like the sports team that is really, really bad with no talent, right? But then they finally win a game because a coach has uh, called them and empowered them. And you ask them at the end of the game, how in the world did you win that? And they would say, well, it wasn't us. It has nothing to do with our own talent. That's why God works this way. He, he calls lowly people so that no flesh would be able to boast, so that all human beings would be silenced before him. This would be important for the Corinthians who boast in human personalities. Remind, to be reminded, no, we're lowly. Don't boast in human beings. But then secondly, in verses 30 and 31, God revealed his wisdom to weak people to encourage boasting in Christ alone. And I've rearranged some things, got different explanations here in verses 30 and 31. Verse 30 says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Verses 30 and 31 capture God's second intended goal 
or its ultimate purpose in calling weak and lowly people to shame the significant and the powerful. You see, God's goal is more than reminding weak people that they've got nothing to boast about. Okay, so it's not like God wants us all to leave here or to go over to the fellowship time in just a moment and silence, mourning our own inadequacies. It's greater than that. You see, God's ultimate goal was, was not to exclude any human boast, but to give lowly people an object whom they can boast about. Okay, and that's where this text is going. Now let's look at how Paul develops his argument. In verse 30, he says, because of him, it means because of God, we are in Christ Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is our new identity. God the Father has done this for us as lowly people. And because of God, we understand Jesus to be wisdom. It says, who became wisdom from God? Okay, this is a theme This has been a theme of the whole section. What is God's wisdom? Where is it found? In Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so Paul's just expounding upon that a bit here. Now after that, he says that uh, we know other things about Christ as well, that he is now for us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And the more I study this, I don't see these Necessary as, necessarily as additional qualities of Jesus that uh, Paul is talking about. It's instead, I think they give further information about the wisdom that God made Christ to be for us. In other words, justification, sanctification, and redemption further declare the nature of the wisdom that we experience in Christ. And so if you're looking down in verse 30, you you could translate it something like this. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. That's what Jesus is. But then you could say, that is righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. The wisdom that he's describing is Jesus Christ and his cross saving us, providing justification and sanctification and redeeming us. And so here in this text, he reminds us of these great concepts. But then in verse 31, our last verse, he says, So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. One of the most fruitful things for me in this pass through 1 Corinthians and studying just for this sermon is to reflect upon the word boast that's used here. I don't know that I'd ever really done a, a large word study of this before, and but to see how this word is used and what's actually going on in the text. And so I've given you a few things in your notes. I've given you a gray shaded box about what the word boasting means. I want to read that for you. Gordon Fee convinced me of this. I was reading him this week. Uh, He writes, the verb boast, which is a predominantly Pauline word in the New Testament, occurs here for the first time. Now, Fee thinks that it's because This word occurs in the Old Testament text, and it calls Paul to to use it in verse 29 and 31. And I think that he's right. He said the word can mean, I'm back in the box here, it can mean to take pride in, to glory in, hence to boast. 
Okay, when we hear the English word boast, we think of taking pride in or glorying, bragging, right, about something. He says, but at times, especially here, it comes very close to the concept of trust. That is, to put one's full confidence in. See, the Corinthians boasted in their own abilities and in the abilities of their favorite apostle. That's what they lined up behind. That's what they put confidence in. That's what they trusted in, at least many of the Corinthians. And so Paul's got a problem. And what he does is he, again, uses his Bible. He uses his Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, to help this church. Where in verse 31, he pulls that second of the pillars that he's going to use here. He pulls a quote from the book of Jeremiah to address the problem of believers putting confidence in human people. So turn back to Jeremiah for a moment, just a few minutes here. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. I want to read you some verses. And, and as we read these in our English Bible, I think you won't, you, you won't be able to help but to hear 1 Corinthians. So as Paul is dealing with a church who is glorying in and putting confidence in human individuals, he uses a text that specifically addresses that problem. And so in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, we'll start there. The text says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man, see all these words, wise wisdom, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man, this could be translated the powerful man, boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. To give you a little background about this passage. In this passage, the weeping prophet Jeremiah weeps about the impending destruction and devastation of Jerusalem and Judah. If you're paying attention this morning, you know that Isaiah was contemplating the impending destruction of what city? You can say it out loud. Jerusalem, or Ariel, if you're really, if you're really paying attention to the text. Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is doing the same thing. What you need to know, though, is that there's about a hundred years between the two prophets. Isaiah is prophesying. Remember, Jerusalem's just about ready to be attacked by Syria, uh, Assyria. And so Isaiah says, God's going to do wonderful things among you. And when that happens, the wisdom of wise men will be destroyed. The intelligence of the intellectual will be thwarted. Jeremiah prophesies a hundred years later. God had delivered them, had rescued them. But Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter 9 is when Babylon, a different empire, is getting ready to destroy Judah and Jerusalem. 
Matter of fact, if you're reading in Jeremiah 9, you see that death is going to come like a grim reaper and mow them down. Jerusalem and Judah. The fields of Judah will be covered with fallen corpses, like grain that's been cut down. And the judgment awaits Judah because they did not know God or take confidence in him. Instead, Judah and Jerusalem trusted in human wisdom, human strength, and human riches. Go back to 1 Corinthians for a moment. The Corinthian believers are also trusting in, bragging about human resources and giftedness. So Paul uses Jeremiah's words to challenge them. Don't boast in human resources. Boast in this, that you understand and know me, that I am the Lord. And the way Paul will allude to that passage in this text, he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In this text, I think he might potentially be referring to Jesus Christ himself. Let the one who does boast or put confidence in something or someone boast only in the Lord. So as we close out the sermon this, this evening, I want to make some points of application for us as a church before we go and eat cookies, right? Men and women, our, our hope for this church And any ministry that we're a part of is not found in any human being outside of Jesus Christ. Sometimes there's a tendency for churches to rally around a particular individual. You know, if we could just get pastor so-and-so. Remember, you you just went through this whole long process of trying to find a pastor. If we could just get like, you know... The next John MacArthur, man, this thing would just take off. If we could get like a a small John Piper or something, you know, then, then we would experience growth. No celebrity pastor would be sufficient basis for us to take confidence in or put our trust in as a local church. We've got a seminary uh, connected to our ministry as well. I know in working with seminaries and Bible colleges, there's a strong temptation at times to say, you know, if we could just get the right sort of guest speaker in here, you know, if I could get like D.A. Carson to come and do a conference, we could inject some life in this thing. Or if we could just get the right faculty, you know, who are contributing and in all of these great ways, then our seminary would have this like glow, you know, this amazing future, right? That's, that's our natural tendency as human beings to place confidence in a person, in someone whose God has given gift. My hope, though, for us is that we might not need to intentionally diminish any human servants or leaders in the church because God is so big to us. God is so big to us. He 
he, he is the one, right, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Think of even how Paul quotes the Old Testament in a little while. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all God's. And men and women, we can do great things for God. But it's not because we have a modern day Paul or Paulus or Peter. It's because we tap into the ancient of days. The creator of the universe who can provide and do anything, any wonderful thing that he sees fit. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I trust as a congregation, as individuals, when we go around and we talk with other believers about what God is doing in our church or our seminary or our missions or whatever, that we're not boasting in a person. We'd be thankful for the person. But we say, you know what? God is at work in our church. And he's the one doing it all. May we boast in Jesus Christ and him alone. And may other people know us for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm grateful for the way that you led Paul the Apostle to write these words. I'm thankful for the way he used his Bible. He needed a text about people relying or trusting in human strength, human wisdom. And you led him to the words of Jeremiah the prophet. Where Jeremiah... instructed the people of Jerusalem and Judah to not boast in wisdom or strength or riches. But if they're going to boast, to boast in this, that they understand and know that God is the Lord. Lord, may that be the nature of our confidence and our boasting as well. I trust that we couldn't help but tell other people of the good things that you do for us and that you will do for us in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.